I grew up in Robertson County, Tennessee, uh, Cross Plains, the town. Um, and uh, it's a farming community with one of its main crops, cash crops, being tobacco. So growing up, every summer, my friends and I, we, we helped harvest tobacco. And for eight bucks an hour, I did the absolute hardest work of my life all summer long. Uh, and I did learn the value of a dollar doing that for sure. And at some point along the way, after I had left home and, and gone to school, um, the, the, the people who make machines, they came up with a, a machine, a tractor that could harvest the tobacco you know, with this machine. And it was incredibly, it is incredibly efficient, uh, much more efficient than I was cutting and spiking a tobacco plant onto a stick and then hanging it up in the barn to, to be fired or to, to air cure. But with one of these machines, a farm increased its ability to produce by like a thousand percent. And so, indeed, as technology has advanced, farms have gotten bigger and farmers have gotten fewer and further between. That's a different conversation, one that I would love to, to have with you, but it's made me reflect as we move into um, our last uh, you know, time together talking about um, finding our way in a world that's lost its way, this, this true north series where we've tried to engage what our compass needs to be to keep us focused and fixed on our Savior, Jesus. And so we will look at how we spend our time over the next few minutes. And it just this week, it made me think of a slower time where I grew up, a pace of life that, if I'm honest with you, I miss at times because I'm, I, I've, I struggle. And it's not Nashville as much as it's just the way the world has changed, I believe. I struggle to find that at times. And so I assume that perhaps you do as well. And so we are all in this boat together trying to navigate our way through the way the world is now. And I wonder if more efficient is always better, if bigger is always better. Technology is certainly changing, advancing rapidly. It's getting smaller and faster and more and more and more. Computer science is now the primary trade school endeavor. That was not the case 30 years ago when I was in school. I, I, I was talking with my, my son, and I think cursive still is taught in school, but I would imagine far less. I, I, I took keyboarding from my grandmother, who was a keyboarding teacher in the, voca- in the county vocational school up in, uh, in Russellville, Kentucky, and it was just this couple of weeks in the summer, three summers in a row, that I learned keyboarding because I happened to have a grandmother that taught it. Well, I'm sure now that has to be mandatory for all of our students. I saw a guy at Starbucks this week, and he was sitting there with no laptop, no tablet, and no phone, just sitting there with a cup of coffee, like a psychopath. (laughs) I thought that would be funny. I made that up. But we know our technological reality is exploding, if we're honest. If you ask yourself any question about any daily aspect of our lives, I promise you there is an app for whatever you're thinking about. We will all, you know, we've always longed to know things, to have answers, 
Trivial Pursuit is still popular. Jeopardy, people still watch it. Encyclopedias are probably still on our bookshelves because 30 years ago, that's how we found things out. My kids at dinner, their favorite thing to do is play the question game. And I love you, Howell, but it's, it's wearing me out because y'all just want question after question. And we just go around in a circle and they see if they can answer them. It's really difficult to come up with questions, but I'm going to keep working hard at it, buddy. I promise. But this, this hunger to, to know things. But listen to me. If, if we thought that our biggest problems were lack of information, well, we now have all the information the world has to offer in the palm of our hand. And we're still broken. So that wasn't it. And what I, what I want for us is, and I think some people get it. I think in some moments I get it. And that is for our separation from our, our Father in heaven to, to grieve us much more than our separation from our cell phone. Now that sounds like a catchy thing that preachers are supposed to say. But if we're honest... That is the world we live in today. And the, 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 the technology that, that grabs us is, is, is as easy as anything in our lives to be something that uses us and not something that we appropriately use. When it is a good thing. But I want our, our yearning for our Savior to be so much greater than our yearning for technology. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. We're going to be in a few different texts today, so we've got time. I'll, I'll tell you where we are before we get there. It'll also be on the screen. In chapter 5 of Ephesians, Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. So our problem, as I see it this morning, is that how we spend our time really matters. How we spend our time, it it really, really matters greatly. And in these two verses, the call in our lives, Paul is suggesting that we are to, to imitate God, to, to be God's children. We talk about that so much, but I don't think we can talk about it too much. To, to literally be members of the household of God, God's children. To, to walk in love, to, to be as Christ, who lived sacrificially. So, so we see Paul painting a clear picture, I believe, of what we are to to be like, how we are to spend our time, if I may. You see, we're not called first to greater efficiency if we're called to that at all. We are called to greater Christ-likeness. Now, that's an example of how I'm speaking to you as disciples of Jesus Christ. That statement, we're not called to greater efficiency, we're called to greater Christ-likeness, that likely will not make sense to someone who does not follow Jesus. But we believe I believe that you do. So many of you have told me that you have. And you showed up this morning, which is becoming increasingly more and more rare in a post-Christian world for people who don't follow Jesus to show up at church, which is why our (laughs) outreach 
is becoming something that looks totally different than it did 30 years ago. As it's becoming more and more important for us to go out. But we, as the people of God, are not called to greater efficiency. We're called first to greater Christ-likeness. We are not called to greater efficiency, but greater Christ-likeness. A few verses down in the same chapter, verse 15. Paul goes on and says, Pay careful attention then to how you live. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Making the most of the time. This literally means to to buy back the time. Put another way, to, to spend the time that we have well. I love the quote by Annie Dillard, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. And Paul's use of the word time here, making the most of the time, is similar to how we understand our seasons. The word Paul uses here in this verse, time, is kairos. And it refers, kairos does, to an opportune time and place. We have a Tuesday night service on the Brentwood campus called Kairos, if you didn't already know that. And the way it's described on the website is a unique moment in time. And I think that's a good definition for Kairos, the word. It was late summer each year that it became the time to harvest the tobacco from the field. And this specific window of time when the plants are ready to be cut and put up in the barns. And we would call that season the season for harvesting the tobacco. And our little town would smell like that familiar smell, which brought with it football season, cooler weather, we thought, hay rides, bonfires, long sleeves, etc. The season, which is my favorite, was unmistakable. Listen to Paul's words again. Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So so don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Making the most of the season, making the most of this time and place, making the most of the time we have before us. Okay, put a period there, and I want you to go with me back to Mark chapter 1. This is when Jesus' ministry began, according to the gospel writer, Mark. And since our call is to spend our days as Jesus spent his days as much as it is possible 2,000 years later and to to seek understanding for what that actually looks like, it is important to read about Jesus' ministry. Verse 14, chapter 1. After John, John the Baptist, who came to proclaim 
Jesus is coming to prepare the way of the Lord. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Jesus said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Here Mark uses the same word that Paul uses in Ephesians 5 for time. Kairos is used here as well. And we ask, in light of what Jesus is is proclaiming and declaring, is, is, is calling us to here, we ask, what is the time, what is the Kairos time that we are in right now? And I must tell you that everything we involve ourselves in, Everything we do must be, as as followers of Jesus, must be set in this larger context of what Jesus is getting to, getting at right here. What Jesus is talking about, that the time is fulfilled. Everything that Israel had been longing for, a king that would ultimately provide salvation from sin and death, rescue from oppression and occupation, Exoneration from would-be and actual captors throughout Israel's history. This kingdom is coming. And the kingdom is where things are as the king would have them, will have them. This, This announcement that Jesus is making here is not good advice on how we should spend our time. This announcement that Jesus is making here is the euangelion. I've used far too many Greek words so far in this sermon. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is not good advice. It it is, but that is woefully incomplete. It is good news. It was the announcement that everything has now changed, that everything that matters, everything that is true and lovely that we read about in Philippians 4 is coming to be, is coming to fruition, is being fulfilled. The living God is now actively pursuing us on the move in the world, calling us to follow him and make things more as God would have them to be. Mm. How we affect others, how we influence others, how we fight for others. Everything matters now in light of who Jesus is and what he is doing. This is the season we are in. And for us who follow Jesus, it makes every bit of difference. God's time has come. The Kairos time has arrived. So what does Jesus say exactly? He says, repent, repent and believe the good news. So let's talk about sin for a moment. That which we are to repent of. Sin destroys. Sin is devastating and we must turn from it and flee it. The word Jesus uses here is repent, which which literally meant to change your mind. That's why Philippians 4.8 gives us such a beautiful picture on how we should think. Because what goes on in our mind has so much to say and help contribute to what we do with our hands and our feet and our lives. 
That's why thinking on things that are lovely and pure and excellent and praiseworthy are so important and so appropriate for one who has committed their life to avoiding sin. We read it before David led us through it. And then verse 9 says, Do what you've learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, do that, what you've seen in him. That's a pretty bold thing to say, but Paul was trying to live as Jesus did. So he believed effectively by saying, you do what I've been doing, you will be doing what Jesus did. And by the way, as children of God, hold me accountable along the way so that I continue to do it. But we must not confuse what repentance really is with what repentance is not. Hear me. What repentance is not is being sorry for the mess that sin has gotten us into. That person who's sorry for the mess that sin has gotten them into knows good and well that they would repeat what they have done if they can be reasonably sure that they can avoid the consequences. That person does not hate sin. That person hates sin's consequences. What is repentance? Well, real repentance means that the person who sins, which is all of us, comes to hate sin itself. The person who once loved sin has come to hate sin. Sin repulses them. That is evidence of a changed life. And that's an important distinction for us to make as children of God. Because how we spend our days matters so much. Because of what we have been called to. Not just belief in Jesus as Lord, but this desire and commitment to others understanding that Jesus is Lord. Let me tell you, well, just a second. Jesus also says, believe, believe in the good news. I hope that you, my brothers and sisters in Christ are encouraged this morning in your belief that you are believing the good news, that you are taking Jesus from Mark chapter one at his word, that God loves us so much that there is no sacrifice that God won't make to bring us home. To believe is to hear what otherwise sounds too good to be true and believe it anyway and live in it anyway and let it be that which gives us the greatest comfort imaginable in those moments when comfort seems so far away and every other moment. Let me tell you one more thing about the time we're in. And I want you to go tell anybody anywhere, anytime about this. A preacher was on a a plane to Atlanta a few years ago, and he was sitting next to a gentleman who was, they they struck up a conversation. They were two people that talk when they're next to each other on a plane. I'm one of those persons. The man sitting next to the preacher was a businessman, and it came up that the preacher was a preacher and works for the church, so they began talking about church, and it turns out that the businessman had abandoned going to church some time ago, and the preacher engaged him on that. Why have you done that? And the man said, well, I guess 
I guess I came to doubt. And the preacher said, doubt what? That the existence of, of God? And, and no, no, no. I, I think I came to doubt what the church was saying, the man said. Well, the preacher asked, what, what did the church say that you doubted? The man said, well, I think I came to doubt that it was possible for a person to really be forgiven and to begin a new life. I think I began to doubt that it was possible for a person to really be forgiven and to begin a new life. My boy, Lewis, he is a first grader. And in first grade, they have a weekly assignment each week ongoing. They learn a poem. And they recite it in class. And it's fun to help. Well, sometimes it's not so fun. But by and large, it's fun to help him learn that poem each week. And one of the assignments with the poem is that they illustrate the poem on the same page that the poem is written. And so when they illustrate it, you just imagine that sometimes maybe the illustration doesn't begin like one of his classmates or him wants it to. And they get the colors out. Maybe it's a permanent marker. And they're drawing and they make a mistake. It'd be pretty devastating for a first grader to begin to tell their story through a picture and to mess it up. You know what relationship with Jesus is like? It's like being handed that poem on a fresh sheet of paper. And Lewis being told or his classmate being told, just start over. Just draw it again. On this new page. So if any of you. Are anywhere near this gentleman. Who sat on the plane with that preacher. If you're anywhere near he is. Doubting. What the truth of the gospel is. And what the effects of repentance. And belief in Jesus Christ. As the one true son of God. Hear me now. Say that it is real. It is true. And there is no shortage of pages with those poems on them for you to begin your illustration over and over again. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It is true. And we have to first and foremost believe it as the very people of God who live in this world that yes, it is true that it has in many ways lost its way. But that's always been the case. It's always for 2,000 years since Jesus uttered these words about the time being fulfilled and the kingdom of God coming near and repentance and belief being what we're called to. It has always been true that that just sitting on the precipice of falling off. Any of us, anywhere. You're not somewhere different than all people have been up until now. And the truth of Jesus is no less true. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means the same thing it's meant the last seven weeks. That we need each other. Leslie Ann and I spent some time in the UK last year. What a beautiful place. What, what a cool way, play, thing to go to a place where things are a thousand years old or more. It's unbelievable. But the truth about the church in that place is that there are Christians, yes. But only about 10% of the population 
attend church each week. And what N.T. Wright says about that is that if you knew the predominant idea about God across Scotland and England and Wales and the way God is presented to most people and the connection that has with Jesus just in their culture, you wouldn't get up on Sunday morning to go worship that God either. And so there is this lack of good information about who God is in that place. Now, we're not there yet. We still can gather 300 people in this room and sing, Is He Worthy? And it be tremendously uplifting. It's a good song, yes, but it's uplifting because we believe it. And because it's an understanding of who God is that we bring in with us this morning because we still are hanging on to it much more than 10% in our cultural ethos. But it can slip. We can be Scotland in a few years. And I just don't, I know that's not God's plan for this time and place. Because our understanding of time, as God sees it, has to be derived from Mark chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 5. This season is upon us and we can't get lazy. We can't get distracted by what the world says is important and what our phones will tell us is important if we just open up Facebook or Instagram or whatever else we're looking on, the news feeds. We must cling to the gospel. And we must help one another do it. Oh, that sounds like the, what the preacher's supposed to say, right? It's 10, you know, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, cling to the gospel. Just like Susan talked about in the offertory time. On Tuesday at 11 o'clock, on Thursday at 5 in the afternoon, when you sit around your tables with your families, when you go to restaurants and interact with the servers, when you're just wandering around on a Saturday doing whatever it is you do, lift your eyes up from your phone and realize that everything you see is something that God loves and came to make new. And believe the gospel in those moments and let the world see how much it has changed you. You do. You, you really do in so many ways. But we have to keep it up. We have to keep it up. 